I was born on a little street just like this. All sentiment and neighbourly love and, ooh, I could never live anywhere else. Till someone comes along with a big fat cheque, then they're on the next plane to Fingerleather and putting down a deposit on a two-bed apartment with communal pool. <laughs> well, if you think it's going to be that easy, you really do need me on board. Oh, yeah? Yeah. This street's different. Tight-knit. A lot of people relate to each other. I notice. It's like deliverance without the banjos. Welcome to episode 125 of the Talking Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catcher podcast. Thanks if Todd had just stopped spouting push last week about being a dead man walking and just let his mommy fight his battles for him. This stuff with Mick could have been sorted out quick sharp and no one had to fake anyone's funeral by their husband a surprise gift on Gavin. And I think there are far too many penises in the news this year, this week. What? This week. What? This week. Not this year. Fuck. Far- what? Men need to keep their dicks in their pants. What news are you fucking watching? Well, there was Jeffrey Tubin, the who? Jeffrey Tubin, the the journalist who was caught masturbating while on a Zoom call with uh, other people he works with. How does that happen? The, the camera doesn't typically point at your junk. Uh, apparently, his his that's that's the part that you find a problem with is how he got caught, not the fact that he was doing it to begin with. Well, I, I don't know if anyone has been doing it in any Zoom calls that I've been on I wouldn't be able to tell because like I said the camera isn't pointing at the junk yeah there's there's noise though I think I think you'd be able to tell in a picture but apparently his it, he had to jostle his 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 computer for some reason supposedly and so it was accidentally tipped down accidentally supposedly yeah. and so that's how he was caught and then Rudy Giuliani apparently almost molests someone in the new Borat movie. and But doesn't get his penis out, though. Yeah, he almost does. Sasha Baron Cohen has to run in and, and say that the woman is 15 But But Vitaly doesn't, it. though. He almost does, though. Almost so doesn't, close. though. Almost isn't doing it. <laughs> Let's at least agree on that. He was laying down undoing Oh, we don't penis. agree on that. We don't agree on that, then. It's still pretty bad, don't you think? It's pretty creepy, but let's... let's <laughs> Let's not overinflate it beyond what it actually is. He doesn't get his cock out. Yeah, but that's and, because somebody you, else stops it. And you saying almost doesn't make it so. If he had his druthers, he would have gotten it out. Is if he had point. his what? If he'd had his druthers. His druthers? Yes. Why are you speaking a foreign language this week? <laughs> not. This is English I'm speaking. And then apparently um, somebody hacked into the uh, OSU's Twitter handle and was making thirst tweets towards uh, thirst women tweets. I mean, on the like, internet. We're just like plucking random words out there now. <laughs> what the fuck is a thirst tweet? Uh, you know, it was saying... No, I don't know. It was saying things like, I would like to stick my tongue in your nether regions sort of things. Well, why is that called a thirst tweet? Because it oh, means... Oh, do you know what? I don't care. <laughs> There's just lots and lots of men doing inappropriate things with their penises, even if the penises are not exposed. 
There. Is that better? Or in a tweet. I believe one of those thirst tweets included a picture of someone's junk. I don't know. I think you're making a, a mountain out of a molehill here. <laughs> That's what she said. Oh. <laughs> Stop watching the news. There you go. Problem solved. The funny thing is, is that I don't really watch the news. I get all of my news from Twitter. So <laughs> I find out about these things. That might be a problem because then. Because the, uh, the day the Jeffrey Tubin thing happened, uh, the term Zoom dick was um, trending on Twitter. Because everyone was talking about it. Should I have heard of him? I haven't heard of him. He I, works, I've heard of him now because of apparently this. He works. He worked for CNN and the New York Times, so he's he's up there. He uh, the other thing that he's really well known for is that a couple of years ago he got one of the daughters of one of his other coworkers pregnant. And then refused to pay for an abortion, and then refused to pay for child support. So, not a great guy, anyway. I guess. Are we becoming TMZ? <laughs> God, I hope not. I'm going to vigorously <laughs> fight against that happening because <laughs> I ain't no Paris Hilton, and you, my darling, neither are you. Thank God. How are you this week? <laughs> Cocks notwithstanding. Um, I've been good. Uh, yeah, it's... The third week of any month is really stressful for me because that's when I have all my meetings. And even outside and stuff, it still puts me a little bit on edge to be in close, prox- in close enough proximity to people to talk to them sitting down for like an hour. Um, even people I like. So it's, it can be quite stressful. Um, School seems to be going better and that makes me happy. Benny is getting on top of his assignments. He's not always getting great grades on those assignments, but it's something. And I made brownies after watching Great British Bake Off. And those went down a treat and they were eaten very quickly. I made them... Thursday night, they were gone halfway through Friday. Like segment that's palpable. Yes. How was your week? That was okay. Do you want a preamble, my dear? Just okay? Yep. Nothing happened? No. I'm trying to think if anything exciting happened, anything really exciting happened in our lives this week. Less preamble. Rest in peace, Mike. Coding news. Don't expect things to get more exciting at this point. I can come in with low expectations. <laughs> Anthony Cotton, defender of the arts. Arshan went on ITV's Lorraine this week to defend actors and other creatives after Chancellor Rishi Sunak suggested that they should refrain, retrain for more essential roles within society. Cotton says, we've needed creatives to tell stories. To write. Yes. That advert was not recent, though. It was repurposed, I think. Yeah, but he said it recently. That that advert, I think, was from a completely different campaign. The advert that people are using and and mocking and stuff. 
but it's it's still even a few years ago or this week it's a ridiculous thing to say because we need the arts just as much as we need everything else well it's kind of one of those things if you look at that certain way it sounds a little worse than it is i guess it's suggesting that if you're not finding work doing something then you find work doing something else doesn't it is that not is that how people survive well, it is, but still, mm. it's not great for your mental health to be plugging along in a job you hate. So why why would we force creatives to do that if they can find something better? It just it's just felt weird that he was specifically saying this about people in the creative arts and not just in general. If you can't find work in your field, you know retrain for something else if he had said that like in as a general way towards everybody in society it would be one thing but he didn't he 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 especially pointed out people in the creative arts and that's kind of fucked up don't you think i think it's kind of fucked up they're not furloughed but if you work in a theater and there's no theater then what are you going to do Mm. no i think a lot of people are are Doing creative things in in different ways, like we can't do open mics anymore, but we do them via podcast now. Yeah, our living doesn't depend on that though. That's true. Anyway, anyway, Mint celebrated his twentieth anniversary on the show. Twenty years, wow! By getting a new puppy. The wee pup's name is Rollo, and he's adorable. <clears throat> Finally. Maureen Lippman, who has just released a one-woman show, Rose, by Martin Sherman last week, has said she feared being typecast after appearing in British telecom ads in the 80s. No worries, Maureen. We love you in everything you do. You grand dame you. And that's Corey News. So yeah, see, you still can make money in theatre. Maureen Lippman's doing it. In a one-woman show. With like one camera on her. Have you written to the West End and Broadway to let them know that they've, it's over? No. No. No, Broadway. Broadway's no. going to be dark. It's uh, it's it's odd because they're having the Tony Awards and there's one guy, there's only one nominee for one of the awards and he may not get it. He still needs to get X amount of the vote to get the award, even though he's the only nominee for the award. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being the only nominee for an award and still not getting it? And there will not be a Tony Awards next year. Maybe it's just not that good. (laughs) Well, you have to be kind of good in order to be nominated in the first place. Yes. Isn't it? Not not if he's the only nominee. No. No, he doesn't need to be kind of good. He's good comparatively to the rest of the field because there is no field. So he's the best. But if he's the only person there, then surely he's also the worst. Moving on. Our mailbag. Our mailbag. Canadian Helen got in touch following uh, Canadian Chloe getting in touch last week. We love our Canadians. Canadian Helen says, I know who would be the perfect announcer for the mailbag. How about Timbot 4000? He could even bring in the mailbag with his strong robotic arm. What I love about this is that we're getting uh, Timbot 4000 involved more this time in the preamble, but also that Helen's gone as far as imagining what uh, Timbot 4000's uh, robotic uh, arms, arms like. would be like and, and deeming them to be strong. Mm. Thank you for that, Helen. And now, this. 
welcome, welcome. Welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. I was Gavin and you were still greeting. This was a tough week, apparently. This was, uh, there was only two stories. Uh, Why was I sad last year? Because Sinead died. Oh. David looking forward to getting out of jail in a couple of weeks and then going ahead and marrying Shona a few days later. So let's hope that he doesn't do anything stupid like get involved in a prison riot and wind up in a room with Josh and a pair of scissors. And then let's further hope that footage of that incident doesn't appear in Maxie's or Imran's inboxes. Yeah, that mm, went well. And yeah. a storyline that began months ago, which involved the Why birth of a... that particular couple just get so much abuse in the show? It's like they love to just put the most... David and Shona in the most horrible situations compared to everybody else. And the storyline that began months ago, which involved the birth of baby Bertie and the passing of organic green tea and potpourri adv- advocate Steph, brave Sinead is approaching the end of her own metaphorical cobbled street and frustrated by his inability to do the right thing by her and devastated by the impending loss, a misguided Daniel goes off to find comfort in the shape of Bethany. Boo. Boo. Hiss. Elsewhere, Peter and Carla are back. Kirk breaks a snow machine, Tracy says horrid things, Santa's fairies do their best to keep him sober for a day, and poor Peanut contemplates getting a new forever family. Our moment of the week was Sinead recording her death videos, that was our moment of the week, and our boring moment of the week was the whole Max and Marion thing, and that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street. This day last year, we are seven minutes ahead of schedule, as we dive in, my dear. Our first storyline today is Todd in the Attic. On Monday... In the morning, Mary is complaining about strange noises she's been hearing at night. Eileen blames it on squirrels and bans Mary from investigating any further. And as soon as Mary leaves, Eileen barks on Todd to get his arse downstairs if he wants breakfast. Yeah, apparently Mary was hearing running water. Which one can only assume was Todd pissing in a bucket. Ew. Mm. Later, Eileen wants to speak with Mick, convince him that no one will be shopping anyone to the police, and Todd insists that Mick is far more lethal than anyone who's watched the show for the last two weeks will believe. She's in over her head, and he refuses to give her Mick's number. Meanwhile, Mary has explained to Kirk and George about a female apparition that appeared at the foot of her bed when she was a kid, and then conversation goes back to the haunting of Eileen's attic, so to speak, and Mary thinks it's Pat's feeling, it's Pat Feeling's ghost. <laughs> now, and this was kind of, like suggested as a storyline that 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 pat feeling was going to return i almost kind of thought that maybe they'd actually have him like come back as a you know in a a dream or something like um there's been speculation that that's going to happen with the og tina that og tina is going to show up in in peter's dreams or something because she was on the street she was she posted on Instagram pictures of herself on the cobbles and then her dog ate something and she had to run to the emergency vet. But still. Aren't you glad I didn't include that in Corey News? You're, you're still kind of speaking about it though. <laughs> no. Eileen goes to speak to George to get Mick's number as he must have had it for the funeral for Mick's brother. George asks her for her number, which she misinterprets as a come on until he puts her right. Yeah, because he wants Mary. Although... The way they Eileen and George kind of chuckle about that makes me think there may be a love triangle here at some point, and that's not something I want to see. No, thank you very much. Later, Eileen takes an early launch for some reason choosing to phone Mick from streetcars. 
and I don't think she's got the right number or whatever, but she's hung up anyway. And she goes home and she tells Todd it was the wrong number. It was a Geordie guy who answered, and Todd announces that this is Mick's husband, Eric. If Mick finds out that they've got Eric involved... Dum, dum, dum. He's a dead man. <sighs> Mary has dragged Billy around to try and sense the ghostly goings-on. Mary heard noises, including a stream of water, which again sounds very much like Todd taking a piss. Must take a piss like a horse. Mm. Mary is sure that Attic is haunted by the ghost of Pat Phelan. Billy points out that he didn't die here, though. Mary thinks the lighthouse thing is, uh, is relevant, and Billy and his man bag need to go have a look. Mary wants him to do an exorcism. Billy points, points out that he's Church of England, but it seems that Mary has been on Google, and Church of England does indeed do exorcisms, which Billy didn't know, and he's up for an archdeacon's job. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. Now Eric turns up at streetcars. He's done 1471 and accuses Tim of sleeping with his husband, Mick. Eric does not, in any shape or form, sound like a Geordie. Meanwhile, Billy has pretended to do an exorcism, but now Mary wants him to bless a bucket of water. Mary has even sent him the correct wording based on his church's website. Billy is... Yeah. 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 Billy reads it out, and then there's a head, heavy thump from upstairs and then on the stairs. Reveal yourself, restless spirit, yells Mary as Todd appears in the hallway. No hug, says Todd. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like, once he sees Billy, all of a sudden he's like cock of the walk and, and not afraid that he's going to die. Oh, he's, he's still kind of scared of, scared of cat one Monday. I mean... Comes along as Eric chases Tim round the taxi. That was quite funny. Eric mm. says that he and Mick were happy until Tim showed up. They're mm. even in the final stages of adopting a daughter. Ah, says Eileen. So Billy isn't pleased to see Todd. Not after everything he's put Summer through. And he refuses to let Todd see her. He even hired Lenny the PI to find him. Mary says, I'll leave you two to catch up. Todd says he's only been back a few days. And hearing Billy's voice made him come down. Billy isn't interested, although he's clearly very emotional about the whole thing and demands to know why Todd decided to come back. Now, back at streetcars. Eileen admits that it was she who called Mick's number. It was all about a present left in the back of the cab. This placates Eric even when Tim fires questions left, right and centre about the veracity of the supposed present <laughs> of Eileen. Joey just fucking shut up, says Eileen. Shut up, Tim! Then Eileen gets a call from Mary, makes her excuses and leaves. Tim was very funny. In, in this scene. Yeah. Like, even from, like, the very beginning when Eric accuses him of sleeping with his husband, you know, he's shocked, but he doesn't... He, he, he doesn't seem to really know what to say. He just clutches his wee chamois leather and, right. look, and looks looks vulnerable. Right. You know, it's not like um, the last time he was accused of being gay when he said, you're not my type. Or something. Well, it was James, not gay. Mary doesn't know. Eileen knows Todd was in the attic. And then Todd and Billy and his man bag burst out of the house onto the street. Billy and his man bag still mad at Todd. Billy is shocked that Eileen knew that he was there. Then along comes Chirpy Paul, who Todd IDs as the other half. Pleased to meet you. Paul realises he surpassed the requirements here and goes off, Billy and his man bag giving chase. Back at the flat. Paul is pissed at being kept in the dark. Billy calls Todd bad news, otherwise why would he be hiding in Eileen's attic? For him to abandon Summer is unforgivable. And Billy says Paul has been a better lover to him and a better father to Summer. Make sure you don't get that the wrong way around. <laughs> Meanwhile, Eileen <laughs> thinks Todd came downstairs just to get under Billy's skin. And his man... 
Meanwhile, Eileen thinks Todd came downstairs just to get under Billy and his man-bag skin. Along come Mick and Eric. Mick looking to get that gift now, thank you very much from Eileen. He sends Eric home so as not to ruin the surprise. Eileen tells Mick and Todd to get inside because this needs sorting. Mm-hmm. And yet she tried this before and it didn't work. Because it's too early. Yeah. Eileen tells Mick to grow up. Eric is a great bloke who loves the bones of him. Lesson learned. See this whole mess as a wake-up call. He has everything to look forward to. An adopted daughter on the way, but he's spending time running after her idiot son. She hasn't grasped him in. She asks him to go away, be happy, and leave them alone. And Mick agrees. Todd is off the hook. Eileen reminds Mick to buy Eric a present on his way home. And this was never going to end in any other way than it did. Because it was just a reintroduction story. It was right. never going to be a big story. It was just a yeah. bit of fluff to, to, get, to get Todd, Todd back on the street. Because now there's nothing to stop Todd going back away again. in the show. Because mm-hmm. he's a tit. Yeah. After, what, one full week last week? Was it one full week last week? Mm-hmm. Or did they appear last week? I can't, I can't really remember. Yeah. But given it time to kind of bed in and... Mm-hmm. And try and get the measure of the character a bit right. more. I've decided that I hate Todd. Yes. yes. I'm starting to hate Billy. <laughs> On Wednesday. I suppose I suppose the reason why it worked this time is that Eileen has information that she didn't have before. Like the fact that Eric is really nice and they're adopting a baby girl and stuff. And you've got this husband who really loves you and you're in the process of adopting a child, which... Again, I wonder what kind of gangster this guy really actually is. Well, but he launders money. He kills people, apparently, at the drop of the heart. He's well capable of murder, according to Todd. Well, according to Todd, I guess. Right. Is he even a gang? Well, he's got a gun. He had a gun. He had a shooter. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. On Wednesday, Todd has suddenly become bored shitless and wants to leave the house against Eileen's advice that no one will be pleased to see him. Mary isn't talking to either of them as she feels let down by her BFF, although she agrees to meet up for drinks later if George doesn't whisk her away. Eileen mentions that Sean will be bringing Dylan over later, and no one cares. (laughs) At Billy's, he's taken a call from the Archdeacon thing and, oh my God, what the fuck is Paul wearing? (laughs) He's wearing a unicorn onesie and I love it. It's not just a unicorn onesie. It's oh a God. rainbow unicorn of onesie. Of course it's a rainbow unicorn onesie and it's so cute. I love it. When, I love it. He needs to wear that more often. When it came up <laughs> on the screen, I immediately hit pause, <laughs> took a screen grab and said, nobody reference this. Just let it exist. Let it happen. But later on in the same shot, I realized that the hood Had is a, unicorn is a unicorn's it. head. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, jeez. Oh, it's so cute. Oh, that was almost my moment of the week. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so cute. Billy's interviews tomorrow, but he's just thinking about it. Now Todd's back. Paul is pissed off in his rainbow unicorn onesie. Billy, probably quite enjoying this, insists that he's in love with Paul, not Todd. I did get a sense that Billy was kind of being a little bit, maybe too amorous with the whole role of having two men after him. It did seem a bit too comfortable in that role a little bit in that scene, I thought. Mm-hmm. You just hate Billy. It's not just me. Timbot4000 says, oh, do fuck off Billy and take new Todd with you. No! Yeah, no! Please do. No, don't. No. Words of wisdom, 
once more from Timbo 4000. Stay with Paul because Paul is better. Uh, Paul deserves every... more. Paul deserves more than that. In every aspect, Paul is, a, is the best man here in this triangle. Then Todd, who doesn't work at the factory, who hasn't been at the factory for years, turns up at the factory. No and acts like he owns the place. And to Sarah's office, no less, with coffees. The rumours are true, says Sarah, who calls him a terrible friend. He apologises and seems to mean it. He notices that she's looking tired and she tells him that she's had a lot on her plate at the minute. He offers an ear. How long have you got, says Sarah. And so later, Sarah and Todd are sitting outside the factory chatting about Billy. Sarah explaining how Billy wound up on drugs after Todd left, but not really explaining all the ins and outs of that. No, not really. Paul comes along and he and Todd continue to snap at each other. Todd correcting Paul's grammar. Paul threatening to tear Todd's head off. I just wanted to shoot him. Who, Todd? Yes. Just somebody kicks fuck out him. Yes, please. It's like... Paul could... Surely Paul oh, could... Paul could... Pummel him into the Kick ground. his ass every way till Sunday. Mm-hmm. So Sarah tells Paul to walk away or he loses his job. Which is fucked up. Bernie is there and tells him that she's bluffing because he's on uh, public property. He's not at work. He can do whatever the fuck he likes. Todd offers Paul a free shot, and then Paul hops and puffs and backs down. Todd, the insufferable prick that he is, is quite chuffed by this. It's the the, the personality switch from the Freddy cat to the to the cock of the walk, like like that. Yep, between Monday and Wednesday. It's just infuriating, and just makes me hate the character even more than I already did. Nobody calls him out in it. No. So surely you've got a wee bit of gumption about you now that your mother fought your battles for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, big. And, and and the fact that Sarah's just like, she, she says one thing about him being a bad friend. And then it's like he's, he had never left. And she's willing to spill her guts about not just things that have happened in her life, but also Billy's life. Like, Sarah, do you really think it's your job to tell Todd that Billy had a drug problem? It's not your place. Right. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Paul Adam go- was right to leave you. Oh, oh, harsh. Paul goes home, but furious that he didn't knock Todd's block off. Billy tells him, ignore Todd and walk away if he tries to wind Paul, Paul up again. Is that the sort of boyfriend you want, asks Paul, one who backs down. And sanctimonious Billy gets on his high horse and says that he wants an adult relationship and he doesn't feel like he's in one right now. Oh, do fuck off, Billy. Seriously. Billy and his man bag... Uh, go to speak with Todd. Todd lays the blame on Paul for what happened earlier and Billy asks for them to be civil to each other. Todd claims to understand and hopes Billy and he can be mates unless Paul spits the dummy. Billy and his man bag go to leave. What happened to your sense of humour, asked Todd. It left when you ditched me, says Billy, which is a totally fucked up thing to say. It really is. And Todd kind of announces that uh, Billy's drug problem that he knows about. Billy says Paul helped him and has been through worse. Billy starts to cry never a good sign and says that when Todd left he lost the love of his life if Todd could turn back the clock he would Todd says that they never broke up and they never fell out he lost the love of his life too and says that they belong together Billy and his man bag disagree and he goes to leave Todd calls Paul his bitter rough he says Billy and his man bag are settling and so it goes on Billy and his man bag insist on one thing while proving the opposite I hate Todd I hate Billy I wish Mick had killed them both. <laughs> so Todd catches up with Paul and apologises for earlier. He calls Billy a good judge of character and he knows that Billy that Paul's had a rough time with it and doesn't want to make anything worse, which of course makes Paul think that Billy's told him about Kel. 
So Paul comes home furious for the second time today. Mm. How could Billy tell that scumbag about Kel? And Billy pleads his innocence and says Todd's just trying to cause trouble. Paul apologises as Billy says Todd is a pot stirrer and now he doesn't blame Paul for getting angry. Paul realises he now has everything Todd loved before he left and he won't get to come between them, which is quite true because he's friends with Summer. He's wonderful friends with Summer. Yes. Because they have their little... The little lame handshake thing, remember? Mm, right, yeah. And he has, well, for now anyway, has Billy. <laughs> That's never going to last. Oh. Later, Paul and Billy are in the Rovers when Todd comes in. Gemma offers to spark him out. Well done, Gemma. Yes. And Todd is there just to meet his mum. How good is it to see Gemma behind the bar at the Rovers again? <laughs> With her boobs out. I, I think I'll mention this in another storyline, but there was certain uh, there was application of makeup that had me kind of move my head away from the screen, but my eyes were still my eyes were kind of magnetically drawn to it. Like what? What the fuck is happening? And she's putting powder on it so it doesn't get shiny. Right. You know, sweat. I'm kind of surprised that you know what that's all about. Anyway. I have boobs. I know that they get sweaty. Well, it can also suggest that you put makeup on them. Oh no, I've just lost my place. I have. I've I've been in the theatre before. So when Paul goes off for a shite, Todd moves in and makes the moves again. Then when Paul comes back, Billy announces to the bar that Todd wants him back, but he rejected him. Yeah. This is the, um, these are the actions of a, a man of God. To be in a pub and to shout to everyone that can listen. This man made advances at me and I rejected him. He's doing everything he can to kind of bum himself up a little bit. Pardon the expression. But, um, you know. Men of God this are... Is, this, is, this is Billy self-aggrandising himself. That he's so popular with, with all the, the homosexuals in the street. Everyone wants a bit of Billy. No, what... he's... Pushing them back, he's fighting them no, off with a with a shitty stick. He's trying. He's announcing that he's with Paul, and he's and Todd's not going to get his way. He's not really self-aggrandizing, but you know, men of God are still men, flawed in every way. You expect more. <laughs> and again, as you as should I expect more from someone who puts himself in that position. And again, you know, as I pointed out last week on the show, and as uh, Mersey Tart pointed out in the Five Things last week on the on the Corey blog, the show really doesn't understand what a vicar is. No. So it's not surprising that they write Billy this way. You'd think someone would know what a vicar was. Well, evidently they don't. <laughs> Then there's a lengthy scene where Todd more or less comes clean that yes, he is jealous and they wanted Billy back and that he lied to stir the pot. Why does everything have to be so dramatic? He lost Billy and the best man's won. <clears throat> he promises to keep out of the way and Billy looks like he wants to swallow a mouthful of spit. Doesn't. And then does. Ew. Well, he's, that's, a, that's a classic uh, deceit thing, isn't it? Hmm. Your mouth fills up and you're, you're determined not to swallow because it'll give you away. Hmm. So you don't. And that kind of gives you away. And then you do swallow, and that just gives you even more. Mm-hmm. Fucking hate Billy. On Friday. Paul's nose is still out of joint about the Billy Todd love of their life thing from yesterday. Billy thinks there should have been more emphasis on was. 
The love of your life is the love of your life, says Paul. And that's Confucius say, the love of your life is the love of your life. But and he's this right. Is, is it, no, he's not right. Yes, right. You no, know, he's not right. Because you think somebody's the love of your life, and then they leave you, and then they're no longer the love of your life because they've left you. Yeah, but you know, this is the love of my life. This is the emphasis of the word was. This is just Paul being, this is just highlighting the fact that Paul is significantly younger. No, Paul's right. He's not Billy like- tries to explain it away, but at the end of the day, Billy's ex is back in the street and it feels like second best. He wishes Billy luck for his interview thing for the job that he never applied for. I'm the love of your life, but I'm sure you said to to Julie that she was the love of your life at some point as well. And that's fine. Paul's right. <laughs> Eileen's Todd is pissed that he's been relegated to the settee so Dylan can have a bed. Then in comes Sean and Dylan. Dylan probably winning the prize for the kid who looks most like who his parent is supposed to be. Dylan goes off for a slash while Todd, the insufferable prick that he is, now tries to wind up Sean, who is definitely not happy to see him back. And he's wearing a lovely rainbow scarf. He's wearing a sweater uh-huh. that seemed to say Hamsters is Randy or something. It looked like hamsters I think it was equals Randy or something. Which I'm not disagreeing with, but it's a strange thing to wear on a shirt. I thought it was seamstress something. I must have said hamsters. At Roy's rolls, Dylan seems to be a media little shit, so let's not care about him too much. When there's no burgers, and when Sean pitches the idea of getting a tram into town, Sean offers Dylan his room and announces he'll be sleeping in the living room so he can catch up with Todd, who is continuing to be a total wanker. Then Billy and his man bag and his umbrella bump into Paul, who thinks that Billy and his man bag should be in an office somewhere being asked what's the most negative quality he has. He's an interfering hand-wringing shitbag. Billy claims to be all over the place, so he postponed it and Billy's and Paul isn't happy because he knows it's Todd-related. He tells Billy and his man bag to call him back and to go for it. What are you doing? I'm trying to find a picture of... of the moment's gone, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Sean's shirt. You know that is the original kid who played Dylan from the very beginning. He does He's look like Sean. Yeah. You can see a bit of Sean in them. It's really cute, some of the some of the pictures of them together when, when he was just a wee boy. But yeah, absolutely that could be Sean's kid. That's, that's exceptionally well cast. Has he always looked like Sean? Yeah. I suppose so. <laughs> it's Toti! <laughs> we wee ice cream sizes. He'd no. Back at Eileen's, Todd has used some of his hot air to inflate an air mattress. Sean comes in all worried because Dylan disappeared in a strop and he's lost him. Todd continues to be a moaning face shit and Sean is worried that Dylan wants to be back with his mum. Sean goes to find his son and Eileen orders Todd to help. So Todd finds Dylan in the gunnel, texting his mates on his phone. Seems young Dylan has some issues with his mum and stepdad and Todd tells Dylan that Sean is maybe too excited to see him which is why he's coming across as annoying but he loves him to bits and then Todd talks him into giving him his room. I know, yeah. It's like, wouldn't it be nice just to stay in the same room with your dad? Wouldn't that be nice? Dylan, Don't you want that? Dylan has a measure of them all but then agrees. Sean then shows up and Dylan announces he's hungry. This is all very exciting. Then later, in a somewhat disjointed scene, Sean is giving Todd a hard time about fucking off and explains all the lines that he and Billy went to in the last three or four weeks. <laughs> He's been missing for years, or a year and a bit. Yeah. But Sean and Billy have been going through hell these last... Few weeks. 14 days. 
Todd <laughs> says it was hard for him too, but not like that. Billy and his man bag and Paul happen along. The interview apparently it went okay. So Billy and Paul get home and Billy goes off on a rant about how there's always a subtext to anything that Todd says. Everything is about a game plan with him. Mm-hmm. Paul is looking pretty bored by this. For someone who claims not to be bothered, Billy sure is looking and sounding pretty bothered, says Paul. That's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. So, so, so Dylan wanders off, but he's like 14, so it's not that big of a deal. And they find him. The end. Is that all we take from that storyline this week? <laughs> No, no, obviously not. Uh, it, it's good to see Sean doing something other than sticking his nose on other people's business. And turning his head away very quickly. <laughs> He's going to put his neck out doing that. <laughs> Do you think Sean and Todd will hook up? Nope. Do you think Todd will be on the show for very long? I think Todd is there to break up Paul and Billy, which I've always thought, which mm-hmm. I thought before he even showed up. Hmm. I can't see Billy with him either, though, because he's been such an asshole. If he was, you know, if he was nice, I could kind of see that maybe happening. But because he's an asshole... Billy's in love with the danger. He's in love with Paul. Who has his own kind of demons with that sort of thing. Right. I don't know. Do you think he's going to get the archdeacon position? <laughs> Couldn't give a shit one way or the other. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking that if he doesn't get it, especially since Paul, you know, kind of forced him to go to the interview, then maybe... Well, he didn't really force him to go to the interview. He agreed to go to the interview and then wasn't going to do it. Yeah. And the reason that he wasn't going to do it was because of Todd, which immediately is obviously mean going anything. to Paul's... I mean, what? That, that doesn't even make any sense. His head's all over. It was just it's bloody Billy. I realised that uh, Daniel Brocklebank, who plays Billy, was in uh-huh. the, uh, the movie The Hole with uh, Thora Birch and Kira Knightley way back in the day. Uh-huh. Quite a good little horror movie that um, passes more than a, a tip of the hat to Lord of the Flies, where a, an old abandoned nuclear bunker replaces the island. Ooh. I need to watch that again because I didn't realise that he was in it. Sounds good. And now I'm going because it'll, it'll, it'll be a it'll be a pretty young Daniel Brocklebank, I would have thought. Because yeah. I'm sure this is from the nineties, from the nineteen nineties. He's done. He's done a. He's done a few other movies like um, like uh, gay rom coms and stuff. I believe. And that's just judging by the posters. I'm judging the movie by its poster. Hmm. I must admit. Yeah, 2001. So almost the 1990s. Yeah, he was in a movie called Soft Lad. I mean. <laughs> what on earth could that be about? Oh my God, he was in Shakespeare in Love in the Hours. Wow. He's got. There now, there now follows 10 minutes of Daniel Brocklebank's <laughs> filmography and us being surprised by it. <laughs> it, does, it does kind of surprise me when. Uh... Who was in Shakespeare in Love? Because I think I might have seen that. Oh, gosh. That's the old uh, perfume vagina, isn't it? What's her face? <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, Gwyneth yes. Paltrow, yeah. And Joseph Fiennes. Remember my joke that I made after that? After that candle thing? 
Ben Affleck was in that movie. What was Ben Affleck doing in a Shakespeare movie? I understand that William Shakespeare uh, wrote a lot, an awful lot of his parts with Ben Affleck in mind. <laughs> yeah, he had a thing for the bust audience. Mm-hmm. He played Sam Goss in Shakespeare in Love. That doesn't mean anything to me. Was that a big part? It's a named part, so that's that's how something. far are you, how far are you scrolling to get to it though? Uh, he's right after. It's between Steve Buscemi and Matt Damon. <laughs> you can imagine Steve Buscemi. Tap oh. dancing is way too Shakespeare the <laughs> Never never had a never had a dance class in his life. Although he was quite good in uh, the uh, that Stalin movie. The Death of Stalin. He's always excellent in movies. He's always excellent in movies. And also, on 9-11, went back to the fire department that he used to work at in New York City and helped. That still gives me goosebumps thinking about that. Oh, Steve Buscemi. He's one of those guys that you just think would just be a really nice person in in person. And you don't really think of that about many actors. So down to earth but talented. But the fact that the you can take the New York farm fireman out of Steve Buscemi, so to speak, mm-hmm. but you can't take Steve Buscemi out of the New York fireman. That he's that first and foremost. Yeah, that's and and you know he didn't want any publicity about it. You know, it wasn't like Sean Penn who brought a cam- <laughs> a video, a cameraman with him when he went to try to save people after Hurricane Katrina. In a documentary by Sean Penn. Cinematography, Sean Penn. We're having a bit of an earthquake here at the moment. Ooh. So, what else has Daniel Brockelbank been in? Or is that it? Oh, God. Other things. But I think this tangent has gone far enough, don't you think? It doesn't feel like it's come to a natural conclusion. Did you, did you see the hours? Was that, um, what's her face? <laughs> Uh, not the perfume vagina. The uh, oh, Nicole Kidman. Yeah, Nicole Kidman and Julianne Moore and Meryl Streep. Yes, I did see that. Yeah, that was good. That was better than the than the book, I think. And Claire Danes and Ed Harris and John C. Riley. That was a good movie. Yeah. So he was in Nicole that. Nicole Kidman played Virginia Woolf. Yeah, he was in that. Named. Uh, Rodney in Flower Shop. <laughs> so uh, from the Newport in Flower Shops. <laughs> Funnily enough, my doctor when I was a kid was doctor in Flower Shop. Don't know if he was Rodney though. Oh dear. If you married Rodney in Flower Shop, would you keep your own name? Or would you become in Flower Shop? Mrs. in Flower Shop. Okay, now I feel we've come to a conclusion. So. Uh, Oh, yeah, that was that storyline finish, wasn't it? Yes. Next next storyline. Next storyline is the Cleveland Browns. I don't know why I called it that. (laughs) Oh, on Monday. Oh, this was Bernie and Gemma back in the show this week for the first time in ages, which means that the nation had to make slight adjustments to the volume of their TVs. What a fucking lot of shouting was going on between Bernie 
and Gemma. Poor Chesney's tinnitus must have been like a kettle constantly on the boil on Monday as they screamed at each other unnecessarily. Poor Chesney... Oh, I've just said that. Washing up liquid, rent and threadbare curtains all contribute to Gemma realising that they have eight mouths to feed in this house. There's five kids and three adults. There's too much going out and not enough coming in. Forget part-time jobs and let's everyone start pulling their fucking weight. Too right. So Bernie goes to speak to Roy about getting some hours at the cafe, except it can't be nights. She has yoga three afternoons a week. She likes to look after the bairns in the morning and is only really available after the breakfast rush. Oh, but two hours a day. Before that happens, with all the shouting and stuff, Ben Price upstairs starts crying like a wee baby, and then starts crying like another wee baby. So he's like throwing his voice. It'd be like eight wee, seven wee babies. That's six wee babies. Six? Five. Five. Five wee babies. <laughs> Five wee babies. <laughs> Sitting in a row. <laughs> that was, uh, well I done, Ben I, Price. I didn't know it was Ben Price providing any um, yes, he additional was, Foley he was babies vocal week. effects. Yes. Well done. Then Chesney, Do you who know? Sorry. Um, there's a lawyer in Lansing named Ben Price. Does it really? Yeah. Does he have a fan club? <laughs> Should we start one? So he's like flying across the ocean to be a lawyer here and then an actor in the UK and also have time for a podcast. No wonder you look so tired. <laughs> that's going to that's going to you down. Although Len Goodman off of Strictly Come Dancing, he managed to do that flying to Los Angeles and back to London. Yeah, didn't the other every guy? Week with Bruno. Yeah, Bruno flies that, back that and be, forth. That would be the hard part. <laughs> Been stuck on a plane with Bruno for ten hours twice a week. Oofed. That would be exhausting. Then and Ches- I like Bruno. Then Chesney, who doesn't work at the factory, goes round to the factory to get some hours working there. Kirk says packing is his kingdom, so he can hire and fire whoever he likes, and he starts taking Chesney's details. Your name? Now Gemma ha. is at the rover speaking with Jenny about getting extra hours. A, she needs the money, and two, she needs to get out of the house. The highlight of her week has been coming here to beg for a job. Jenny doesn't have any spare hours, though, thanks to Emma working for Oliver's Fund, but she'll see what she can do. Then Kirk is in the Rovers talking about great power and great responsibility and how he gave Chesney a job. Then he gets a call from Sarah, who seems to have a different idea about this uh, autonomous role Kirk thinks that he has. Back at home, it turns out everyone has a new job, so who's going to look after the kids? Someone has to give up the job. Jim refuses, as does Bernie, so it looks like Chesney won't be packing any knickers anytime soon. Oh, well. How is he going to break this to Kirk? Now the Rovers, Kirk tries to let Chesney down while Chesney tries to back away from the job. And a relieved Kirk gets the drinks in when it becomes clear that Ches doesn't need the job now that Gemma is working at the Rovers. On Wednesday, Gemma and Bernie are shouting. Gemma is applying makeup to her breasts and she's wearing her special outfit for her first day back at work. That outfit seemed to be a satin hot pants. I don't know how to describe these things. <laughs> there was an awful lot of flesh on view. Right. And her boobs were kind of spilling out of her. Yeah, for the first time ever, Gemma is dressing like the old Gemma. And with her hair like up in the little twirly things and she's wearing makeup and she looks put together. So that's good, put right? Put together, was it? Well. She's a bit of a mess, wasn't she? Put together Gemma style. Right. She's not like wearing sweats and with her hair all out and, you know. Mm. Baby sick on her shoulder. True. 
She looks like she's going to go clubbing, which is, you know, how you dress when you go clubbing Bernie, or running a bar. The same thing, certainly. Bernie kind of winds Gemma up about uh, looking forward to get out of the house and away from the kids, but then tells her it's natural to want to have a bit of normality every now and again. And that was as far as we get with that. This was a little filler story, wasn't it? It was, but it was nice because... Because it was basically Goldilocks and the Three Bears <laughs> sort of storyline where they all go off. Not that actually this has no. No, it's more like the gift of it's more like the, the three bears. it's more like the gift of the Magi, isn't it? Mm. It's more kind of Shakespeare in love, I think. <laughs> it was, no. so, so the three of them agree something, but they don't agree enough to know who's supposed to be doing what. So they all go off and do their own thing, and they all come back and then realize that they can't all go off and do the same thing, right? Because they didn't talk about it, and right. so now somebody has to do something. But in this situation, it turned out that Ches didn't want to be really be doing it anyway, no. and was quite happy to stay home and watch stay the home babies, and watch the kids, and, and stuff. Yeah, and it gives, and it does give Gemma. A, it was. It's a get Gemma out of the house right, storyline, which is good, and I like that they that they address that that you know mums need to get out of the house every once in a while. You love your kids, but you also need time to yourself. You know, and. It was nice of the show to acknowledge, acknowledge that that that's that's a genuine real thing, and it was nice. Nobody, nobody died. Nobody cheated on one another. Nobody is plotting to steal from another person. There, it was there, there were no, there were no, no guns in this storyline. Really. No babies died. Nobody went to Germany. There was no gangsters. <laughs> there was no. There was it was no good. Vickers. No. Getting involved unnecessarily no handmade in somebody rockets. else's business. Yeah. It was good. Wore that, please. Mm-hmm. Gav likes to watch Jebba put powder on her boobs. I, I don't remember <laughs> saying that at all. Timbot4000 says, oh, do fuck off, Billy, and take new top with you. <laughs> We're not even on that storyline anymore, Timbot. Try to cap up. He really must mean it. Once again, though, I think it, it's... Uh, uh, he was in uh, The Devil's Arithmetic as well, which was a book that Benny had to read for school last year. Yeah. The, the Bernie is a better Bernie now than she was the first time she came back. Absolutely. It's nice to be reminded of that. Oh, I've lost my place again. And, you know, and it's nice that... I, I like the frankness of, you're not going to win any awards for mothering. <laughs> you were not a good mother. And she's okay with that. Mm-hmm. She's like... I'm, you know, I recognize that I made mistakes, but now I'm going to be a relatively good grandmother and help with the... Because when she started at first, she was so confused as to what she was, remember? Because right. she was the kind of the star child, Apollo and Gemini. Per- perfume in her vagina. Perfume in her vagina. And then she was like a kind of grifter and she was a con Scuzzy. artist. And, yep, and just kind of horrid and they couldn't really decide what to make of her yeah and then she went away and she came back and she kind of lost that con woman type part but she still has an opportunist about her right uh like the the digging up of the um uh, rick the chin's watch so but that kind of felt more in keeping with a character that she developed a character by that point and this this little part of her was certainly part of that so it's 
I think it's a good mm-hmm. example of how the show can fuck something up so badly the first time, but then bring it back and get it right, right. so well the second time. Remember when Chesney had to see her naked? Oh, and didn't you think that Chesney wanted a bit of it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad that she's was, not like that anymore. That was the anymore. first iteration, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Did Chesney get his nipples out in that scene? <laughs> I think he's contractually obliged to get his nipples out at least once every year. <laughs> Our next storyline this morning is Ray's Dream Skyscraper. This is a bit of a storyline vacuum. It kind of sucks different storylines into this, which I think it did last week as well. But So we're we'll, we'll jumping about a little bit. Okie dokie. On Monday, Gary, Maria are in Roy's role saving money and giving us all a recap of what happened last week when Ray calls Gary. Yo, says Gary as he answers the phone. And that... That kind of ruined that scene for me. Is, is Gary a yo when he's answering the phone type of person? I I don't think so. I don't think we've seen any evidence of that uh. so far. Yo, he says. Yo. He now seems to think that he's rocky. Oh my God. Are you still looking up movies that Daniel Brocklebank's been in? No, but he won a SAG award for his role in Shakespeare in Love. For the... And the floor? No, that wasn't the <laughs> no, florist. No, he was the florist in the hours. It must have been that SAG that they give to everybody in the cast, like the cast, the best cast of the year. <laughs> Way to give with one hand while taking away with the other. Still, it's kind of Well done, Brocklebank, for getting a um, participation award. That's basically what you're saying. Have you seen his, his partner? His romantic partner in real life? No. <laughs> Gavin's speechless. That's photoshopped. <laughs> that's that's Nanjani all over again. Yes, Ray wants is. to talk about his quote for the job and Gary checks that Maria is on board considering David's house is one of the targets. Fuck them all, says Maria. Fuck them in the ear. So Gary agrees, but no one looks all that keen on the idea. Shona is playing video games at number 8 while a concerned Aaron watches on as David seems to be the only one taking care of the housework. Shona is terrible at pretending to play a video game. All she seems to do is just jab the controller unrealistically from left to right. Die zombie zombie scum, die, she yells. Right, and the zombie scum is David and her social worker guy who does nothing. Aaron asks how things are going and Shona complains that David won't give her her hole. David asks (laughs) to speak with Aaron elsewhere but Shona realises that she's not wanted and storms off for a bath. David tells Aaron that that he's shite at reading the room. Do people take baths this week? There's quite a lot of bath and shower shower, action. I kind of wish I'd kept going with that that table. To bring that back. Start next year. Hmm. David explains about the buzz cut on the hipster the other day and the threatening of the lawsuit. Aaron says, we talked about this inappropriate behaviour. You ain't heard the best, says David, and he goes on to explain how she doesn't think anything of shaving a stranger's head, but constantly wants her whole. How can she think, how can she make rational decisions about sex when she can't make rational decisions about what's a good thing or not to do to a stranger's head? Right, which is a valid point. David is sarcastically thrilled <laughs> with all the help Aaron has been able to offer so far, and he makes this situation a hundred times better by announcing that he'll be reducing his hours with Shona with effect from right now. Fan Dabidozi says David, which was a catchphrase of Jeanette Cranky vis a vis the Crankies. Mm. David and Sean and Aaron sit down to talk about her wanting her hole. 
she'll be pleased to see the back of Anne, she says, and David thinks it's pointless, and then he goes off to change the bedsheets. At the bistro, Gary's going through the paperwork and will give a competitive quote. Ray is working on the permission from the city, but Gary wants to know what will happen if folk don't agree to sell up. Ray says he can be very persuasive. Money talks. Gary says Coronation Street is different. Ray has noticed, and he calls it deliverance without the banjos, (laughs) which I thought was... Very appropriate. Line of the week. (laughs) It's very true. (laughs) Gary says that Ray needs him on side for this, and Ray seems to suck on a thoughtful tooth about it. Shona and Aaron have been out and they come back. Aaron says Shona has promised to listen now. Shona blames it on the house being so busy and no one tells her that she's doing wrong. Is that true? The house is busy. Well, I think nobody tells... The house is busy when there's no scenes being filmed there. But see, the problem is, is that she expects people to tell her that certain things are wrong to do before she does them. But nobody knows what she's going to do next that's going to be wrong. So they tell her after the fact, but they can't tell her before the fact. And that's got to be frustrating all around, but still... But she doesn't seem to learn from being told after the fact. No. Yeah. The, 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 the hipster with the, the bun being a, right. a, a case in point. Mm-hmm. Aaron thinks that she's getting better. Aaron hasn't got a fucking clue what he's talking about. No. And David is forced to agree. Shona then starts on about David and Josh sleeping together, but David points out that he was raped, and that's what it would have felt like the other night with Shona. And he has to check to make sure that she knows what rape is, and she says that she does. Shona says it wouldn't because she was up for it and David has had enough and goes off to his sinkhole. And I'm the mental one, says Shona. Yeah, the way that she talks about the him and Josh thing. She's like, like I, don't, together. I, don't, I don't care who you sleep with. You shouldn't be embarrassed by it. It's like, that's not... Who told her about that in the first place? Was it Sarah who s- still keeps getting her nose in other people's business? I believe it was Sarah, yeah. Yeah. Sarah needs to keep her mouth shut. I don't think it was David. Work on her own relationship. Or lack thereof. Yeah, she doesn't have one, does she? Yeah. (laughs) Adam needs to take her back so she'll keep out of everybody else's business. Are we really getting... Are those two done, do you think? I kind of hope not. I hope they get back together. They were kind of good together, weren't they? They were good. But were they, though? I don't know. They seemed good together. I don't want her to get back with Gary. Oh, God, no. Because that would be devastating to Maria. No, she's... <laughs> Does Timbot have anything to say about Maria? Stop. I can't I can't quite reach that far. N- no. Tube. But... <coughs> uh, yeah, Sarah's kind of marked her card in terms of... Remember last week when when Gary was kind of being all the best neighbour and right. thinking about the community, and then Sarah's actions and Gail's actions kind of and more Sarah's than Gail's because Gail, you know, brought up the fact that she took a picture. I was and let's not forget as well that it was a registration plate that a week later, more than a week later, I can still remember what it was. <laughs> Build V. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it was more Sarah who Sarah's, told Gail to shut up. Sarah's a turd in the wind, isn't she? I'm not, I'm not get involved in this. So anyway, 
Gary's in the Rovers when David comes in complaining about Shona's lack of empathy and Gary offers him a pint and a friendly ear, obviously laying the foundation work to scam David out of his house. So David and Gary are having a beer talking about the night Shona got injured and Robert got killed. I, I was quite pleased that they mentioned Robert has mentioned Robert since he died. <laughs> and didn't, and didn't have a have funeral. A funeral. <laughs> Somebody should really claim that body. <laughs> David thinks Beginning that, to smell. that he lost Shona that night and he hasn't. And she hasn't come back. She pretends that she still loves him, but he doesn't know how much she can pretend that that's still the case. Back home, Shona gets a message that she keeps secret. I don't think we find out anything about that. She got a text, and then she kind of hid her phone. She apologises about the Josh thing, but he points out that she was the one who got him through it. She's not the old Shona anymore. She wishes that she was, and they agree that they've been pushing things a bit too hard recently. Then later at the bistro, Ray is impressed with Gary's quote. He's got the job so long as everything else lines up. Based on what Gary said before, Ray is going to need Gary to make sure that David sells up. Ray will offer market price. And when Gary protests that Shona doesn't want to leave that house, Ray suggests Roxy will buy it off them and then rent it back to them. How does that help? Don't worry, you're pretty gingerhead about that, says Ray. Gary looks like he's bitten off more than he can chew and Ray has totally called him out. Or so we think on Wednesday. Or Monday. Because on Wednesday, David and Dev are outside the barber having a good laugh about Shona and that hipster bloke when that hipster bloke shows up and starts uh, taking photos of the place. He's already lost three jobs because of stupid Shona and once his followers find out about this, Trim Up North will be dead. Dev particularly and David poo-poo this until the hipster bloke reveals that he has (coughs) 2.8 million followers. Do you believe that? No, why why would I believe that? (laughs) He takes a selfie in front of the shop, says ciao, and then fucks off. And Dev calls him vindictive, and then he says, now you see the point. Right, yeah. I thought we were never going to see this guy again, so right. I was quite and he's wearing And he's wearing a hat, and he's not wearing ridiculous clothes this time. He's wearing a, a beanie hat, isn't he? Yeah, he's wearing a beanie hat, which, you know, hipster. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look bad. I mean, if he just evened it out, it would be fine. I can't believe that he would lose... I mean, he's not Samson. No, but he's got he shouldn't a, be losing jobs because of his hair. He's got a baldy chunk in his in his hair, though, hasn't he? It wouldn't really be baldy. She just she just cut off. No, she took. She didn't. You can put down your fake scissors. She didn't. She she used a a buzzer. I thought she used scissors. No, she buzzed it off. So it's down to the wood. He should go for uh, some monk jobs then. Do just a, put some. Some pen all over his face, and it could be a pando of Robin Hood. He could be Friar Tuck. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> if he's baldy uh, in the middle, I think it was back into the sides, back into the left, <laughs> back into the left. All right. Well, then he could play JFK. There we go. I set it up. You knocked it out the park, and, <laughs> and no one got it. Oh, type yeah, 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 whatever. Okay, so then David finds Gail. Kevin Costner's so proud. Spreading joy in another storyline. Was I bet you Brocklebank was in JFK. <laughs> <laughs> he was a grassy knoll. And and uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Right. <laughs> Both Kevin Costner movies. <laughs> so those seven minutes that we saved during the preamble is starting to get eaten up a little bit. I think. David finds Gail spreading joy in another storyline at the community garden while Gary hangs around and eavesdrops. David explains how this hipster influencer could ruin him and he doesn't know what to do. 
Gary follows David home and gets the whole story. He's skint, about to be skinter, and he has a vortex in his back garden. That's another contender for line of the week, I think. And again, shouldn't be his responsibility, that vortex. Mm-hmm. If it was a vortex, I'd be and, great. <laughs> and why is nobody else... And why is nobody concerned that this might... I've got a corridor l- to an alternate <laughs> dimension <laughs> in my backyard. Some Daleks are going to start popping their heads out of the... Yeah. They'd be stuck. They couldn't get out of that. I don't think. Um, Ed. Ed Bailey. Oh. He was in Doctor Who. He's the only person in Coronation Street that I think has been in Doctor Who. Gary asked about Just the surprising. Off- about the offer in the place, David confirms um, that it's still on the table, but he can't accept it because Shona's determined to stay in the house. Gary mentions the rent thing. It might be worth a shot. They buy the house off you and you rent it back off them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And this gives David food for thought. At the bistro, Gary fills Ray Weinstein in on the latest development and rather than kicking David out immediately, recommends keeping David sweet. If he sells, the rest will follow suit. Ray cackles and mentions something about a million pounds. Back at number eight, David is telling Shona about what's likely to happen and mentions the offer in the house. Sell, 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 says Shona. She gets stability from David and the kids and doesn't give a shite about the house. David thinks <laughs> Which that is completely different from what she said two weeks ago. Right. David thinks that he might be able to stay on his tenants. Then nothing really changes. Shona doesn't even think that Sarah and Gail need to know there's been any change. <laughs> Right. Yeah. On to Friday then. At the pub, Scott is explaining the plan to Johnny. Because remember, this thing's going on in the storyline as well. Ray Weinstein is due to meet up with some investors tomorrow at the Bistro. They'll be playing high-stakes poker. Johnny thinks it sounds risky, but Scott doesn't care. All Johnny has to do is get them away fast. Why does it have to be Johnny? Because apparently Johnny is the only person he knows that he can blackmail. He doesn't know him. I know. Like, I'm going to blackmail you into doing this because 40 years ago you helped me with another job where somebody got killed or hurt or something. At at time of (sighs) publication, there are more gangsters on the street than there are cobbles. Right. He he has... He doesn't know Mick, though. (laughs) There are... Hundreds of people that you could be picking from. Right. Not somebody with MS. <laughs> right. Who's not going to be a very quick driver. What does he expect? <laughs> what does he expect from this aged man who has MS? It, a part of me thinks that he thinks that the whole MS thing is a con. You know, that he's just, he's gotten this idea in his head so far, you know, that he ignores all logic because he's a crazy man. Who, I'm not sure that that's the case. Who evidently did not learn anything in prison about not stealing from people. Well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> he doesn't get re- rehabilitated, but it's almost like he wants to get caught. It's almost like he wants to get Johnny caught. Right. But if I, Johnny gets caught, then he gets caught. Oh, yeah. I've seen some stills from next week. It looks awful. (laughs) I'm just saying it now. Last week was really bad. Last week. Mm -hmm. Last week. This week was not. 
it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as it wasn't great. It wasn't. It was it the best week ever? No, but it was it horrible. Where we're grasping at straws for a moment of the week? No. The Paul's Paul's onesie. <laughs> no. <laughs> the I've seen a lot of people complain about this about the the volume of gangsters that we have is kind of borderline EastEnders at the moment. Right. And I have and to say, I didn't I didn't think that was really the downfall of it. I just thought that the storylines were pretty poor. Yeah. But And they're two dimensional, the gangsters. But this just... this within a storyline that doesn't make sense of Ray wanting to build a skyscraper. I don't think he really wants to build a skyscraper. I think he wants to build a kind of an outlet village type thing or a a, a little quarter that's kind of higher quality bars and restaurants and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's with just, apartments above it. Right, it's, it's not going to be like a 50 story building or no. anything like that. That's what he's wanting to build. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But within this ridiculousness, we have another nugget of ridiculous we'll have several nuggets of ridiculousness because the sinkhole's kind of ridiculous it's absolutely ridiculous but now we have scott determined to make johnny a getaway driver and this what if if this happened in real life if i'm like well it would never come up and say that i need you fuck off (laughs) and well i'm gonna tell him about this thing that happened 40 years ago fuck off well do it. Yeah, go In ahead. fact, hang on, I'll do it for you and save, right. your, save your trip. Yeah, you wouldn't be hiding it from me the way Johnny's hiding it from Jenny and instead making Jenny feel awful and like he doesn't love her anymore. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, it's like, but it's a TV show and this is, you I know, know, I know, I know. And it's, it's like Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> or how many, how many people could possibly get murdered in Maine or around Angela Lansbury. You know, eventually you start to think, well, maybe she's the one who's murdering all these people. I think Midsummer Murders is a better example because they all happened in Midsummer. Right. Or, or they didn't she... all happen in Cabot Cove and right. Murder, or... she wrote. Oh, well done, remembering Cabot Cove. Cabot Cove. Well... Comes up in trivia an awful lot. Well done, mm-hmm. well done. It's because there's lots of old people at trivia. Or like Shetland. You know, how many people could possibly get murdered on the Shetland Islands? Maybe one every 40 years or something like that. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. So. That was eventually proved to be accidental death. It right. wasn't really a murder. It was a sheep. Right. It's always a sheep. But bluff cliffs. You know, so that's. The pushback, you see. <laughs> when you take. Yeesh. <laughs> <laughs> It's a horrible image. Apologize. Apologies to the people of Shetland. A very beautiful collection of islands. Windy. Very windy. No trees. No. But lovely nonetheless. I think it's a... closer to Norway than it is to Scotland. Yeah, they have lots of Viking ceremonies mm-hmm. in Scotland. I don't think they think Shetland. of themselves as Scottish. I think, I think they think I think they think of themselves as Shetlanders. Which yeah. is which is absolutely which is fair. Yep. Absolutely fair. <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about the Shetland Islands for? Because I brought up this, the the show Shetland. Oh, yeah, so you did. Which I don't think you've ever seen an episode of that. I didn't know it was a thing. No, I love it. It's good. So, Gary drops in on David, who has already spoken to Roxy. It's a done deal, and they're letting them lease it back, and they arrange to meet up for a beer later. 
So later, Jenny thinks Johnny's looking under the weather and wants to ring the MS nurse. He tells her not to interfere, but she isn't about to listen to him. He's about to have an episode, she says, and she wants to nip this in the bud. So Johnny comes through to the bar uh, after a bit to find Jenny talking to Scott about another storyline. Jenny tells Johnny she's booked him a short break away. Emma and the others will be able to hold the fort. Scott glares at Johnny. Jenny enthuses about spas and treatment and then goes giggling through at the back so Scott can blame Johnny for planting the seed in Jenny's head. He needs to fix this or he'll be spilling the beans to Jenny. You will be my getaway driver. Or I'm going to tell your wife about this bad thing you did 40 years ago before she knew you. That she won't care about. (laughs) Because in between times she kidnapped Jack. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we kind of balance that out. I'm I'm surprised that... uh, She's not worried that he's caught the coronavirus. I'm surprised nobody on the show has caught coronavirus. Like an ac- like a, a character, not an actor. Because we know of at least two who have had COVID. Why? It's just because it exists. And you'd think, you know, statistically, somebody on that street, especially since they're all taking their masks off to talk in closed buildings... Oh, but, but this could be in, in any storyline, not just this one though, right? Yeah, but it's Johnny who's sick. But it's the MS. Oh, yeah. With yeah. the MS. You'd think Th- he'd that be... That may or may not affect his uh, high-speed driving <laughs> skills. It, ma- it makes him more susceptible, I would think, to a virus that kills people his age anyway. Does it? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Right. And number eight, Gail is still doing a crossword that she started in another storyline. When the phone rings, it's someone looking for David, someone called Roxy. And despite Gail not being David, it appears that Roxy is quite happy to share some details with her. Later, David thinks that the sinkhole is getting worse, but he'll get it fixed. Gail wants to know where the money will come from and he bites her head off. Gail announces that Roxy has called for him, so David has to come clean. She thinks there must be another way, but David shouts that this is a plan, we're sticking to it, it's a done deal, end off. Gail, despite David talking some sense here, is concerned about why someone would buy the house and how the f- and who the fuck is this Roxy anyway? Who cares, says David. It's done. It's going to get fixed. This is the only route that we have mm. to get this sorted. And he's, uh, he seems to be right about that. Except, you know, maybe call some seismologists. Call the government. Yeah. Start a uh, crowdfunder or whatever. Right, yeah, maybe Sam could sell some rockets for Uncle David as well. I watched Friday's episodes on ITV.com and I was shocked at how many times I saw an advert for Just Eat advertised by Snoop Dogg. (laughs) Since when did Snoop Dogg sell out to Just Eat, which is kind of Grubhub? The yeah. British Grubhub. Have you seen the Grubhub commercials with Mark Hamill and Patrick Swayze playing board games together? What is it with these delivery companies that are just encouraging um, he- heroes to sell out? Snoop Dogg does ads for, is it Miller? Miller Lite that he does the adverts for here in the US? I don't recall that. It's either Mid- Miller Lite or Bud Light. I really hope it's Miller Lite. I think advertisements are something that is an easy paycheck when you you can't really do big, huge productions on movies and, and stuff. You haven't seen the commercial clearly then. <laughs> it's a rather large production. Is it? Mm-hmm. What happens in it? He's on a plane, <laughs> surrounded by beautiful women. 
Okay. Rapping about how much he likes Just Eat. <laughs> Which is funny because we don't have Just Eat in America. This is why this is a British commercial. Right, yeah. But Snoop Dogg doesn't live in the UK. Gets paid three and a half million for it, apparently. Nice. Good for him. Sell out. Good for him. He Corporate needs the shill. money. Good for him. He's got like five kids. And he's down to his last $115 million. Oi. Poor guy. And he's got people to pay. Like uh, like our friend Nicole's brother who works for him as a production manager. Just bizarre. Anyway, <laughs> back at the pub, Jenna, Jenny and Emma are filling up some of the 44-minute runtime of the episode by talking about budget and essential oils, while Johnny hangs around in the background like Gollum. He tells Jenny that now isn't a good time to go away. You They're just back from those... France and it doesn't look good and them never being there and Jenny is unmoved by this. You know who likes those uh, birdshit masks? Gwyneth Paltrow. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Jenny continues to gush about the break until Johnny tells her that it's that if she's that fucking excited about it, maybe she should just go on her own. Scott is obviously lingering at the bar and does his best to stir things up. He's not sure Johnny deserves a break if that's how he's going to treat her. And Jenny says that Johnny isn't so keen on the holidays, and so Scott reminds her of him staying on in France, and Jenny is now furious. Yeah, why why would Scott do this? Why wind Jenny up when it's just gonna make Johnny have a harder time mm-hmm. when when you when you want to well if he makes her angry she'll cancel the the getaway basically i think this is motive here ah. so she faces off with johnny in the back she knows he doesn't want to go away with her and she's a common denominator and all this so she agrees to cancel the booking but she's really upset about it johnny finds scott out the back and calls him a prick Scott gives Johnny a chance to back out, but if he does, Scott will tell his wife and his daughter that Johnny was involved in a robbery that left a man fighting for his life. I had to Haven't stop. we already covered this? I had to stop and think about which daughter, because, you know, Kate's not on anymore, and it's like, oh, that's right, Carla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Ray Weinstein finds Gary in the Rovers. Ray calls it business and David's happy. It's a win-win and Gary agrees. Gary leaves as Todd comes in and there's no love lost between the two of them. And Ray talks Johnny into joining him for a drink. This is after Scott had advised Johnny to get an early night. It's going to be a busy day tomorrow. Or Monday, as he means. Yeah. That's as far as we get with that. That was a big one. That was a penultimate storyline this week, actually. Yay! We just have Mm -hmm. one massive storyline to talk about. Yeah, I, th- I think I've kind of said what I wanted to say about that through it, that it just doesn't make a huge amount of sense that Scott is determined to get Johnny into bother here. Right, yeah, it's like... Did they meet, they met by chance again, wasn't it? We, we do agree that that was a chance meeting. Probably. Well, that's what Scott says. He was doing a job in the area and it was by chance he had no idea that Johnny was the proprietor. Of the B&B he booked, but that doesn't, that seems a bit far-fetched because Johnny's name is over the door. Mm-hmm. Scott seems to be completely bereft of any other friends. Or any other... Pers- or acquaintances or people that are reliable to do a job for or him. Or personality. And that's the point. That is the point That there. is the point here. He's so two-dimensional. There's no. just, there's nothing to him except to get Johnny in trouble. Here's a guy who is a criminal, has done some bird, and has a black book that consists of no one that can help him out, or no one that is a reliable accomplice to any other future crime that he wants to commit. Which seems to insinuate... All he has is one elderly man with MS. Which seems to insinuate 
that this is only the second <laughs> robbery he's ever done in his life. That he did that one with Johnny, got caught, got put away. And this is why it kind of seems like he's been put away for 40 years. But because, if he wasn't put away for 40 years. Because, yeah, it doesn't make sense that he would be put away for 40 years. But he kind of acts like, okay, well, I'm out now, so it's time to do another job. And the only person I know is the one person I've ever done a job with, and that would be Johnny. Exactly. Timbot4000 says, oh, do fuck off, Billy, and take new top with you. <laughs> no, that's the wrong... Timbot4000 says this does not compute. That's right. But also, a, a, good, <laughs> you stop. a, a good initial point that he made. You stop. Billy stays. Eileen's son can go. Because he's a tit. Our final storyline today. It's the one that's about Oliver that isn't really about Oliver. Although we get to see him this week. Well, we get to very, see very briefly. the doll. The mannequin. Was that the mannequin? I believe so. No, that was that was didn't actual move. kid. Well, he was told to stay still. He's in a coma or a, a drug-induced coma. How many four-year-old kids do you know who can stay still? For three seconds, sure. You can Wearing do it. wires. You can, you, can, you can stay still. Or, or they can just take one shot and make it make it appear that it's in motion, that it's actually a still photograph that they've taken. Hmm. It, it looked like a real kid. And it looked like Oliver. From what I remember, Oliver looked like. Which isn't all that clear, I have to admit. On Monday... Steve and Leanne recap the story so far with the impending court case, seeing as we haven't touched this storyline in so long. The court has appointed Wendy the Guardian as Guardian. Leanne isn't happy about this, but Steve thinks they need to get her uh, to see their point of view. Leanne wants to try Dr. Schmitz again uh, to come on their side as a medical expert. Later, Steve has left three messages with Dr. Schmitz and he hasn't called back in the last hour, so Leanne decides to go to Germany to see him. Yeah. Steve points out that maybe the doctor's busy or in meetings or being a doctor. Being a doctor. And that initially sounds like Steve's talking sense, but then Steve says that he'll go to Germany tomorrow. Him and Tracy, although we never see Tracy. On Wednesday, Nick recaps the story so far for Gail, telling her that Steve and Tracy are off to Germany to meet up with doctors who have no idea that they're coming. <laughs> Gail wonders if Dr. Smith has changed his mind, but Nick confirms that he hasn't. Gail tells him to fix his own... He's going to barge into the office and say, I demand to speak to you. Put down that scalpel, sir. (laughs) Step Uh. away from the medical trolley. I have a tracing and I'm not afraid to use it. She has killed and she will kill kill her again. again. Gail tells him he fix his own mask before fixing others. And that took me a little second to figure out what she was talking about. She's talking about the, the masks yeah, the that dropped down in the airplane, not but the COVID, COVID mask. Although it, it's appropriate in both scenarios. Nick claims to be okay and is looking forward to meeting Sam, who is going to be raising money for Oliver's fund. As is Gail, until she finds out that Natasha will be there too, and Nick is worried about how Leanne is going to react. Hmm. In the community garden, Sam is selling rockets that fly with baking soda and vinegar, describing science that seems to baffle Gail. Gail offers to look after Sam if Natasha has things to do, but Natasha is happy to stay and help out. Gail is suspicious because Oliver isn't anything to Natasha, so why does she care? Yeah, Gail now, was kind of nasty at this point. This is one of two things. Gail is either nasty to Natasha unnecessarily, mm. or Gail sees through this bullshit. And I wonder which way it's going to go. Hmm. Leanne has uh, 
taken to spying on Dr. Howarth now, and is furious that, with Oliver so ill, she and Wendy the Guardian are laughing and joking with each other in the corridor. Yeah. Wendy comes in and introduces herself. Hello, I'm Wendy the Guardian. She has a recorder and plays Three Blind Mice. Oh, no, it's not that type of recorder. It's a voice recorder. (laughs) (laughs) That was my joke of the week. Was it? No. Wendy (laughs) explains that she's been appointed to represent the interests of Oliver, and Leanne thinks that's the same as her. No. Wendy the Guardian explains calmly that she's independent, she has no ties to the hospital or to Leanne and Nick or the social services, and all she wants to do is get to know Oliver better. Leanne, though, has a beaner bonnet about this and accuses Wendy the Guardian of being on side with Howarth. Because they were laughing together. Inappropriately and joking with each other. <laughs> Later, Leanne has calmed down and is talking about all of her stories that we never got to see. Something about a ladybird. Wendy the Guardian is grateful for their openness and she now has a good idea of who Oliver was before he got ill. And this sets Leanne off again. That Wendy the Guardian knows nothing and she's going to allow her mate Howarth to get her way. Nick begs for calm while Wendy the Guardian insists that she doesn't know Howarth any better than she knows Leanne. Leanne still wants to know what they were laughing about. Nick suggests to leave it there, which obviously pisses off Leanne and when Wendy the Guardian leaves, she barks at Nick. How fucking dare you apologise for me, she says. Uh, Leanne's uh, reaction to Nick trying to calm the situation. Yeah. It's just the same same stuff. You know, people try to help her and she blows up. Mm -hmm. People are trying to get assessing the situation and she blows up. It's getting really old. And, you know, it's just, I'm hoping it ends soon because it's just her, her person, her personality has become just so razor thin, you know, where this is, this is all she is now is, is the angry mom. Yeah, she's kind of perma-angry. And even when she's not angry, you know that she's about to become angry. Yeah, like you can see it stewing still inside her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's become even less about Oliver and more about whether her mothering, you know. Like, I'm I'm going to fight for my kid to stay alive because that's what a good mother does. And she takes offense at every little thing. And she's not taking offense on behalf of Oliver so much. Yeah. As as she is for herself. Meanwhile, Dev has bought a ton of rockets from Sam, while Gary's another to be bamboozled by the signs. Apropos nothing, Gail tells Natasha that she's wasting her time and Nick is in a happy relationship and Natasha's hanging around reeks of desperation. As she stomps down the corridor, Leanne accuses Nick of being embarrassed by her and not interested in Oliver. And I think there's only so many times that she can say that before it ends up becoming true. They bump into Toya, who asks what happened, and Nick explains about Leanne's aggression that'll probably end up in the report from Wendy the Guardian. Leanne is upset because Wendy the Guardian wasn't... upset. And Mm. Toya has to explain that it's not her job to show emotion in front of clients. She tells Leanne to go home and get some rest, and the same goes for Nick. Toya was quite a bit of a voice of reason there. She really was. As a a counsellor, I don't show it, but you know me, I can then become quite upset on my own time. Behind closed doors, right, yeah. That's exact, and that's exactly right. Back home, Nick has got a call from Natasha. She has a friend, Suki, who's a journalist who just bought a rocket from Sam and wants to write an article for the Weatherfield Gazette. It might help raise some money. Haven't we seen Suki, the journalist, before? I think I'd remember the name. I, I seem to remember. 
I don't think Suzuki I do. from Oh, when when else did the Weatherfield Gazette write an article? Was it was it the twin was it the quints? I think Suki was the, the one who wrote an the, article about the quads. The quads, yes. Why do I keep wanting to add another baby to that family? And a T. Didn't you say quints? Yes, the quintuplets. Oh, we just say quins. We say quints. You don't say quad. Well, that's a different word. Quadtuplets and quintuplets. Quad goes to quin, I think. Quint. Nah, I think you're wrong on that. Anyway. <sighs> so. We'll have to agree to disagree. I don't agree to that. <laughs> uh, if you had your druthers, you would. <laughs> I still don't know what that is. So. Uh, Leanne doesn't get angry at this. Suki wants an interview right now. No pressure. And Leanne gets a bit angry at this. In comes Suki, who wants to help. Leanne tries to be aggressive, but Suki is a professional and a reporter for the Weatherfield Gazette, damn it. And she says all the right things, for now, anyway. Mm -hmm. Leanne explains the situation to Suki, who asks what it feels like to be told that she's going to lose her son. And Leanne flies off the handle. This accuses Suki of only wanting a grieving mother story and shuts Nick down when he tries to defuse the situation. She leaves, saying that she's going to see Oliver and she tells Nick to stay the fuck away. So Nick apologises. Suki says that she was insensitive and will spike the story. It's a shame because she thinks that they could have helped. But it looks like Sam has it covered. And Nick admits to being Sam's dad, which I'm guessing is probably a mistake. Yeah, because Suki, Suki, Natasha's friend, looks surprised at this. Mm -hmm. When you'd think that she might already know if she is Natasha's friend, who was just talking to Natasha about Oliver, Nick's son. I invite you, Helen, to join me as we go to Michael's and buy a large cork board that we that we pin in our heads, and we attach to that cork board that little bit of information with a pin, and we tie a little bit of red wool round about that that we will use later. <laughs> later, but not to do with the cork board. No, Nick that's... is helping Natasha pack up in the community garden. It seems Suki was asking lots of questions to Sam about his rockets. Aye, aye. Meanwhile, Nick can't do right for doing wrong. He doesn't even know if he should go to the hospital, and Natasha suggests that he do what Leanne told him. Gail sees away. part of this exchange and is none too happy. When Nick leaves, she approaches Natasha and accuses her of smiling at him. She wants to win him back so she can have a proper family. How fucking dare you, says Natasha. She and Sam are a proper family. And if you'd open your eyes, Gail, you'd see that Nick is having a pretty shitty time with it right now. You're tapped, she says, and she walks off. And she's not wrong. No, she's not wrong about that. At the hospital, Leanne feels like everyone's against her and Oliver. And now, Wendy the Guardian and the Journal are going to think that she's batshit crazy. Toya doesn't think Suki will write a negative story. And Leanne just hopes that there's no story at all. Aye, aye. Mm-hmm. On Friday, at the flat, Nick is trying to tell Gail that the waiting is the worst to see how Steve got on in Germany. In comes Natasha with a copy of the Gazette that Gail quickly steals, claiming to be interested in the, in the crossword. Natasha tries to draw everyone's attention to a storyline in there, but Gail's taken over and discovers an article about Sam raising money for Oliver. And I think it was like, a brave kid raises funds for sick brother or something like yeah. that. Leanne's going to go ballistic, says Nick. But Gail doesn't see why, because she's not spent any time talking to Leanne in the past two months. <laughs> Natasha pleads ignorance about the photo and the write-up, and she would also like to make a donation to Oliver's fund. Oh, that's nice, says Nick. 
How does 20,000 bucks tickle your fancy, says Natasha. She can afford it. What? And she'd like to do it, but she wants him to speak to Leanne first about it. Which kind of puts to pasture the idea that she wants to get back with Nick, or that she's lying to Nick about Sam being his son for financial reasons. If we're to believe that she has that kind of money just burning a hole well, in the Well, it's kind again. of weird for her to offer and not have it. Wouldn't it be? I believe that we will get to that. Hmm. At the hospital, Leanne can't get hold of Steve or Tracy. Leanne has all her hopes on Steve talking to Dr. Schmitz and getting them around and getting them on side, and then hurries off to try calling him again. She's just tried to call him, now she's tried to call him within a minute. And Toya kind of realises that something's off here, but chooses not to say anything. Nick arrives at the hospital and Leanne is already reading the article in the Weatherfield Gazette. She pretends that she's okay, that it's Sam that's in the paper, not Oliver, and then throws the paper at Nick's feet. And yet yesterday Leanne was, would have been quite happy if Oliver wasn't plastered about in the in the paper. Right. And here he is, not plastered about in the paper. Yeah, but, but she's still unhappy about it. But Sam is plastered about in the paper instead. If Natasha was a bloke, she'd be on a white charger, says Leanne. Why can't she be on a white charger as a woman? Come on, Leanne. Haven't you ever seen Joan of Arc? Later, Leanne has calmed a bit. Still no news from Steve. Nick is about to mention Natasha's offer when Steve comes in. He's been dinging her calls, thinking it better to speak face to face because that's not ominous in the slightest. Dr. Smith is adamant that Oliver isn't suitable for treatment and Leanne is crushed. And moments later, Leanne's rage has descended again and she accuses Steve of not trying hard enough, which she takes exception to. He can't believe she said that. He flew to Germany in a pandemic to speak to a doctor who didn't know he was coming. And didn't want to speak to you in the first place. No. She backs down but doesn't apologise. She wants Steve to talk to Imran and Elliot and she'll try to get that Wendy the Guardian on side now that they don't have a medical expert. So Leanne catches up with Wendy the Guardian. She apologises for the other day. She's just having a really hard time of it. She asked if they can chat again later, and Wendy the Guardian is agreeable. Meanwhile, in the corridor, Nick is on the phone to Natasha, turning down her donation. Leanne comes in, and Nick lies to her, saying that he was on the phone to work. She wants to go home for a shower and a change of clothes, and Nick offers to drive her, and it's reflective of how out of sorts Leanne is when she accepts the ride back to the street in Nick's Rover 75. You'd think that she'd be suspicious about the whole, oh, it was a call to work, considering that the last time he was on a call to work it wasn't really a call to work but it was a call to his secret son right and she found that out right <laughs> again i'm not sure why nick's choosing to lie here about i know this. it's weird <clears throat> well so that leanne can blow up at him about it later yeah because we haven't seen enough of leanne being angry this episode right yeah we need more angry leanne that's what the storyline needs more angry leanne that's what we pay our license fee for <sighs> oh, they get home without breaking down and leanne gets a shower then, Yay! then Natasha appears at the door. She apologises again about the paper and then wants to explain about the money. What money? asks Leanne. Nick says that he hasn't had a chance to talk about it yet. And Natasha refuses to take a hint and then explains about the £20,000 anyway. Leanne snaps back into anger mode. You didn't tell me this because... And Nick says it was difficult, but Leanne has come to the conclusion that Nick was never going to accept the money. He thinks it's weird taking Natasha's money, but Leanne couldn't give a fuck where it comes from. They're going to need it. Natasha apologises for maybe the fourth time and then leaves them arguing. Nick points out that it was only offered this morning, he was going to tell her, and then Steve arrived with his bad news from Germany. And now the next conclusion that Leanne jumps to is that they should let Oliver die. 
They have a legal bill of 50000 that they have no idea where they're going to get the money to pay for it. Leanne feels like she's on her own and wants Nick to accept the offer. And when Nick doesn't respond for the longest time, she assumes that he's in agreement and heads back to the hospital under her own steam. Probably for the best. That car's never going to go all that way back to the hospital and back in one day. <laughs> you were just... <laughs> Give it up, Gav. Give it up. Back at the hospital, Leanne is telling Wendy the Guardian stories that may or may not be true about Oliver and Simon. She finds this very upsetting but continues. She watches them sleeping now and she tells him everything and... She watches them sleeping now and she tells him everything and she knows that he can hear her. He's much more alert. Wendy the Guardian asks if they have discussed this with the hospital, but they put it down to seizures. But Leanne says that she knows best. How can she not fight for her son's right to live? Then Natasha's dropped in on Gail, which was a bit of a surprise. They talk about kids. Nick comes in and asks Natasha for a word, and she apologises again. And Nick explains about the German news and asks if the money is still available. If it is, they'd like to accept it. Natasha is only too happy to help, and she asks for Nick to text her his bank details. Let's go back to our little corkboard, shall we? Mm. And let's attach our first little uh, article by the Red Wool to this article with Red Wool that Natasha is wanting Nick to text her his bank details. Well, that's just like Daniel and Tim's dad a couple of weeks ago, where Daniel went to Tim's dad to get his bank details so he could forward money to him. Is it just like that? Because I would argue that it's not just like that. You, you are suspicious that she's going to steal money from Nick while Nick is in this, during this tragedy, and then fuck off with Sam. Is we, that what you're... Is that what you're insinuating might possibly happen we have to ask why the detail of uh, natasha asking for his bank details is becomes a line of dialogue because what i would just assume would be happening is that natasha gives nick a check do people have checks anymore nobody has checks anymore or a banker's draft or something you could get you could get this money to nick without nick giving you his bank details hmm. people have checks i've got checkbooks sitting over there yeah how often do you use it once a month for what for our utilities i thought you could pay that online now they charge you money for doing that yeah they charge you money for everything a convenience fee apparently yes these are the same <laughs> shits by the way that charge you a booking fee for uh cinema tickets or for concert tickets if you go in person and pick them up or you phone them in or whatever right and if you buy them online with a credit card where there, there is nobody involved in it mm -hmm. they still charge you a booking fee and then they charge you a convenience fee on top of it mm -hmm. the well, nerve like, of the people it's like anything it's like uh ordering food online there's a fee or ordering our groceries online there's a fee added on it's like that for everything isn't it are you deliberately missing the point? No, I'm not. I'm just I'm just pointing out that, that the, there's a fee if you turn up in person. There's no fee at the at the supermarket if you turn up in person. No, they no. don't charge you a buying fee. No, that's true. I don't know. It's weird. It's a fucking rip off, that's what it is. Uh-huh. Anyway. Yes, my insinuation is that Natasha's Natasha going to steal money from Nick. That Sam isn't Nick's kit. Yeah. Because he shouldn't be. No. 
because of all of the astronomical odds that are involved in, right. in this being a thing would suggest that common sense says that it's not really a thing. Uh, it's just, it's, all of it's weird, isn't it? Where did she get her 20,000 from? We don't, know she, what she, we don't know what she does. I thought we did. I thought she was, we knew she was a successful something or another. Remember her conversation with Nick and Steve in the parking lot of the hospital where she said she was going in for some sort of like beauty treatment or something into the hospital and, and Steve makes a point of saying she must be well off now. And she says she's well off now. But that was a lie. She wasn't going in for treatment. Right. She was going in because... Of some, something was wrong with Sam. Some, yeah, but it was it was not something was wrong with Sam. It was that Sam was in for some sort of regular treatment for something as well. Because she says something, because the nurse says, you know, he's doing really well this month or something. She lied. And she has a history of mental illness, apparently. I don't know. Or just being... If this was all above board and Nick would be expecting some money, I don't think there would be a line of dialogue that would have Natata, Natasha asking for Nick's bank details. It's It stands out. Hmm. It's a bit of a... Well, it stood out for you. Again, I was just thinking, well, this is how people transfer money these days. But that's a really dull thing to say if it's not important. Yeah. They say a lot of dull things on the show. Again, I think you've been deliberately facetious here, and I, and I don't know. I'm how... playing devil's advocate here. I'm, I'm, I'm a sounding board for you. That's mm. that's my job. That if it was all going to go through without any kind of hitches whatsoever, there would be no discussion about how this transaction is going to happen. Mm. I think by drawing attention to it, you're drawing attention to the fact that maybe there's something a little bit suspect here. So anyway, she Leanne says. joins Steve at Oliver's bedside. Steve wishes that he could have done more. Leanne says, "This isn't the end. They're not going to stop fighting." Then back at number eight, Nick gives Gail the bad news about the German trip. Gail thinks all they can do now is support Leanne, but Nick says that she's not ready to give up yet, even though everyone knows that she's fighting a losing battle. Nick admits that he didn't accept Natasha's offer to begin with because it wouldn't have made any difference. Gail tells him to tell Leanne this. He has to. Leanne will never stop fighting because she, no one she trusts, and no one who loves Oliver too, is telling her to let go. And that honestly didn't work for Tracy when she told Steve, says Nick. He loves her. He needs to support her. If you love her, says Gail, you'll tell her how you feel. And that is how we end this week's episodes. And who knew that Gail was going to be the voice of reason? Well, you knew because Gail's voice dropped down an octave. (laughs) Well, while she was being the voice of reason, her voice dropped down an octave. Yeah, her voice changes when she's talking seriously about something. Mm -hmm. When she's flippantly trying to figure out crossword clues, her voice is high High and and flighty. Doll-like. But when she's been serious, it's... Pick a lane, Gail. She speaks an awful lot of sense here, though. Yeah, she speaks truth. That Leanne, as Oliver's mother, is never going to stop fighting. No. Well, and again... Because no one who loves Oliver is telling her to let it go. Right. And again, that may be true for Leanne, but I don't think it's true for every mother. And again, it kind of insinuates that mothers who accept that their child is going to die and allow their children to die with dignity are bad mothers. Right. And I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that the show is kind of insinuating that, or at least characters in the show are kind of insinuating that. 
But, and, you know, I thought it was interesting that Nick points out that it didn't work very well for Tracy, but Tracy and Steve are still together. They're not getting a divorce over this. So... Well, we haven't really touched back on that because they were kind of... He was a bit shitty to her. Yeah. He was very shitty to her. But then she went with him to Germany. They both go to Germany. Hmm. Which seems to insinuate that they are... That they've patched things up as well as they can. With Tracy drawing a line saying, fine, you can sell the house and you can sell... Um, streetcars. Streetcars. But you're not selling the flower shop. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting that Ray Weinstein hasn't told Gary that he's already got streetcars and... I don't know how official that is yet because Tracy tore it all up. Yeah. And that was kind of the last we heard of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, it feels like we've talked quite a bit about that as we're going through it. Yes. What was your moment of the week? <laughs> Paul's onesie. No. No. <laughs> no. No, it's got to be Gail and Nick. It's got to be Gail and Nick at the end of the Yeah, at the, end of the, at the end of the week, Gail and Nick hit it out of the park because it's what we've been saying for weeks now. Somebody's got to sit Leanne down and say, we've, we've, we've got to accept that this is what's going to happen. After a week of having angry Leanne, angry at the world and pushing everyone aside to have this scene at the end where Gail compassionately explains... The, the way to stop this happening, which I'm not sure it is, but it, it, it's worth a shot. Mm-hmm. It's by being honest with her about what the, the outcome's likely to be here. Right. Of what we've been told the outcome is going to be. And, I mean, I, there seems to be a part of Leanne that knows this. There well, were moments... She, she's recognised her unreasonableness and her selfishness. Right. But she can't stop herself. No. Somebody needs to give her a way out. Mm-hmm. To tell her it's okay to accept this. It doesn't make you a bad mother. Next reaction to this, I think, was really well done as well. Um, he hears what Gail's got to say, and, and rather than, than respond, you can see him turning it over in his head before yeah. he, he, he he remains of the opinion that he has to stand by her, which right. is what the default position is, I guess, but this kind of goes against that. Yes. Anyway. Anyway. That was a great scene. Finished off the week mm-hmm. well. And that yeah. is our... Moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. It's probably a Billy thing, isn't it? I would imagine so. That whole scene with the when it's pissing down the rear end and the umbrella and Billy's not going to go to the interview and he speaks to Paul and then he goes to the interview. All right, yeah. That was pretty boring. Right. Although rainy. Yes. So it had that going for it, but still. It's something. Yeah. That's we'll our. That's our. Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. Oh, I haven't done an outro again. If you've. I don't know. If you've hit a Timbot 4000 button if at least ever, one time too many of If you've this ever week, had your druthers. <laughs> <laughs> Drop us a line at the talk of the street at gmail.com on email, which is also how you can leave a voicemail on Skype, or you can leave a couple of nuggets in our virtual tip jar on PayPal. We're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we have a merch store, which you can find in the bio of our uh, Twitter page. We've got six new followers overnight for some reason, one after the other. I assume they're robots. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> they're they're fans of Timbot. And please leave a written and review on iTunes if you're that way inclined. Timbot four thousands fan page. <laughs> thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and we will be back next week with more talk <laughs> of the street. street. Cheerio. Bye. Timbot four thousand says, "Oh, do fuck off, Billy, and take me <laughs> talk with you." <laughs> bye, bye, folks. <laughs>